open a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll get the service started with some good stuff. Dear Father in heaven, we love you. God, we love your house. And God, we're here, Lord, we've, we've got some restrictions on what we want to do, what we can do, Lord, but there are no restrictions on, on you. And God, we don't want to put you in a box. We don't want to put any limitations on you. Father, if you want to draw folks to the altar, Lord, that's what we want. God, if you want to convict, that's what we want. God, if you want to draw someone to you for salvation, that's what we want. God, whatever your will is this morning, we pray that you would have that. God, we do thank you for our visitors that have uh, come this morning. God, we thank you for those that have not been able to be here uh, in a couple weeks. We thank you that they are back today. We pray now that you'd bless them. God, we've got prayer requests that we'll mention here shortly. But we ask you today that you would just have your will and your way in our service. Bless uh, Nathan and Rachel and Kaylee as they sing. We ask you that you touch them. Lord, let us know who they're singing about today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
testimony worth repeating and uh, throughout the week my, my mind's been going along a message I preached years ago and uh, it's just one of those messages that sounded good at the time and uh, it didn't it didn't translate uh, when I preached it but the title of the message was why can't everyone be like me and I know that scares the hound out of some of y'all just to think about it um, but it wasn't about me but it was about salvation and, uh, uh, and and kind of the those hallelujah. I don't know how he did it, but he just turned out. Of, it wasn't anything wrong, I promise. Um, but the kind of the theory behind the message was that everybody that I was in contact with at that time, you may have to turn this one down, brother David. I turned the gain up on that one. It's on the far left. Um, <clears throat> Hang on just a second. Does that sound a little bit better? All right. So, in the message, and I'm not preaching this this morning, so you don't have to be fearful, <laughs> but I had come in contact with a lot of different people that made a profession of being saved, and they were living any way that they wanted to. And uh, it just kind of grieved my heart. And uh, I, I asked that question, why can't everybody have salvation like I've got I feel like I've got a salvation in the Lord that tells me when I do wrong, but apparently they don't. And I feel like I've got a salvation that when I'm doing right, God kind of loves on me and, and encourages me to do that. And I've got the love of God in me that makes me want to love the brethren. But at the time that I was thinking about that message, there was a lot of people that were professing Christians that tended to be fighting one towards another. And the scripture about the different soils came to mind and how that some were put in good ground, some stony ground, some thorny ground, and then some by the wayside. And so I began to preach that message, and, and it may be one of those things that made sense if you heard it. This, no doubt, doesn't, uh, judging by the looks on some of y'all's faces. But in the message, I, I have to still today wonder, what is salvation? to each of us. I'm glad that I know a man that did die on Calvary for me. Amen. And not only did he do that, but he did that Romans 5 verse number 8 in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that does something for me knowing that I could not clean myself up in any way, shape, form, or fashion while I was still a sinner, while I was still filthy, while I was still dirty. God chose to send his son for me. And there will be other people that are planted in good ground or in stony or in whatever ground that they struggle in their Christian life. Some are being choked out. Some are being 
believe it was James, they're, they're blown about by every wind of doctrine. But I'm glad that I know a man who can plant me on firm ground, on good ground. I cling to that verse so often in, in uh, Psalm 40 that I waited patiently for the Lord, but he inclined unto me and heard my cry, lifted me up out of a horrible pit and out of a miry clay. He said, he put my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it. And for, that does something for me. And I'm glad of that this morning. So that's, that's a message one, I guess, this morning. Um, I want to remind everybody, I'm giving... Abby, time for the microphones to dry off. That's what I'm doing. No, I, I'm just kind of sharing my heart with you. A um, little nervous this morning. I, I'll be preaching out of Exodus again. And uh, it's a thought that I have had for quite some time. But uh, it never has kind of uh, come together until the last several days. So I ask you to be praying about that. We told the church about two or three weeks ago about our the boys' home that we support, Stillwater's Christian Boarding School uh, out in Union, Mississippi, and uh, we want to do something different. I don't know that the church has ever done this, but uh, even, even in this, we want to do it a little bit differently. We want to adopt each boy and the families of the, uh, the boys' home. There are, well, there's two adult families and then one teacher that we want to uh, to adopt. The last one that we have left is uh, John and Anna Rush. Uh, they take care of the logistics there at the home. And then they have a son and a daughter. And they have, uh, each, of, each of these pages has things that they want, some things that they need, as well as their sizes, things of that sort. And then I think we have five boys left. We've got Mark, he's 14. Connor, age 15, Caleb, age 15, Jesse, age 14, and Tyler, age 16. And uh, on the tables in the back, on this side of the tables, the, the, the side closest to the sanctuary, there are uh, piles of clothes and gifts that the church has already bought for those boys. And so if you have already selected a boy, uh, make sure to stop by there and see what has already been purchased off of your list. If you have not selected a boy and you want one, please stop by after church and get one of these, but also just double check everything back there. Now, if you would like to, uh, to take part in that, but you don't have time to shop or you don't know anything about that and you want to give a financial gift, feel free to do that. Uh, if you just want to, uh, if you want to write a check, just make sure to put boys home in the uh, the memo, and we'll take care of it from there, okay? Uh, don't forget tithes. If you do want to give tithes at any time during the service, uh, if you want to give in this box over here, that is missions. We just kind of left it up just in case someone wants to give to missions throughout the month, all right? So, Miss Abby, you get your crew ready this morning. And then when they get done, we'll go right into the message today. So you pray for them. And maybe you're fired today, brother. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you just relax. Just relax. So you pray for them as they sing this morning. Help them out and uh, ask the Lord to bless them.
turn to Exodus chapter number 14. I want to give you a couple of prayer requests this morning. Uh, I do ask if you would to remember Sister Jean. Uh, she went to uh, she went to the hospital yesterday. Uh, they thought that she might have a, a blood clot and they, uh, they said that she didn't and sent her back home but she's still in uh, some pain from that area this morning. 
And uh, Brother John said that he felt better just staying at home. So if you would remember Miss Jean, Brother John, he's still fairly weak himself from his procedure a couple weeks ago. And then uh, remember Brother Buster, uh, he had surgery to put a plate in his uh, neck. And so you just ask the Lord to touch him. Good to see Miss Leah here this morning. Uh, Sister Barbara, Cheryl, Dee, Irene, uh, also Brother Stanley, he's working down in Tampa. And so remember him as he travels there. Good to see Brother Michael here this morning. <clears throat> and then uh, Brother Gene Wiggins. If you know Brother Gene, uh, you know a couple months ago he took a church as pastor out in, uh, I think it's, uh, hang on, Vienna, 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 I don't know, Vienna. Anyway, he took a church out there, and he is going to be ordained this evening around 6 o'clock. And so Brother uh, brother Reese asked if anybody would like to come. Uh, you're more than welcome to come and just uh, kind of show support for Brother Gene, but also just join in the service there. But that will be at 6 o'clock at Greater Vision. So let's remember all these. I'm sure I probably missed something as far as prayer requests, uh, but uh, if you will, just kind of... Um, uh, keep all of these at least in prayer. If you found your place in Exodus chapter 14, turn to verse number 29. Verse number 29, Exodus chapter number 14. <clears throat> we'll read just the last few verses of this chapter and then we'll get into the message. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And all the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses, Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, again, Lord, we thank you for this day, for your blessings. We pray now that you would touch us as we try to preach the word of God. We ask you, Lord, that you would recall to my mind those things that we've prayed and studied about this week. We pray that you would give us clarity of mind, clarity of speech. We pray that we would be mindful of the time today. But God, we ask you more than any of those things that you just show up into the hearts of your people this morning. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach on this thought, three hands in Egypt. Three hands in Egypt. Now, I read verse number 29 just kind of as a springboard. I want to read this again. The children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. It says, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and the left. Now, we understand that this is kind of recapping the previous verse, uh, chapters, rather. And uh, he is, uh, Moses, as he's pinning this down, he is, in essence, I believe, he is testifying about what God has done. We'll read another scripture in Numbers here shortly about this same thing. But as we look at this, we see that there is something that has happened. Now, I am going on, not an assumption, but I want to borrow your imaginations as if you have never read this story of Moses 
you've never read the story of Egypt or of Israel, and we kind of recap a few things. And there's three hands that we find here in uh, the first, really the first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus. Number one, I want us to look at the mighty hand. Over in chapter number three, Exodus chapter number three, verse number 19, we see this. Now, we've, we've preached a few of these, but I want you to see verse number 19. The Lord is speaking, and he says, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. Not by a mighty hand. Now, there's more to this, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But I want you to see that this Pharaoh's hand he's talking about here in verse number 19 represents a harsh judge or harsh hand of judgment, if you will. If you look back in chapter number 1, verse number 11, you'll see that uh, the Pharaoh was new to Egypt. He was a new king. He did not know Joseph. He did not know the people there. And so he came into power, verse number 11. He says, therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. And so we see here that as you begin to look there in chapter number one, that there are some things that are happening this new king, as uh, as number says, this king Ramses or Pharaoh Ramses, he is coming into power. He sees these Jews. He sees the sheer number of these Jewish men, women, and children. And in essence, he begins to say, we are small and they are a great number. And so we're going to have to show them something. And he does this, as the Bible says in chapter 3, verse number 19, with a mighty hand. God says, uh, Moses, I realize that the Pharaoh is not going to let you go because of his mighty hand, this hand of judgment, if you will. And we can see this hand of judgment a little bit further in chapter number five. We see in verse number six, and Pharaoh commanded uh, the same day. Uh, that the taskmasters of the people would give the people, I'm just paraphrasing verse number 7, he would give the people no straw to make bricks. But instead what he did is he still left the same quota among the people there that were in bondage. You still have to make so many bricks a day, but I'm not going to give you any straw. So in essence, Miss Abby, he says, you still got the same work to do, but now you've got to double your work because you've got to go out. You've got to find your own straw, then bring it back and mix it with that mud and mire and clay to make bricks. And the Bible says towards the end of this chapter, I believe it's verse number 21, uh, that the people said, uh, the Lord, look, let me go back to verse number 19. And the officers of the children of Israel uh, did see that they were in evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught or not diminish the amount of your bricks from your daily task. And so again, it just reiterates the fact that they were not only in bondage, but they were under judgment. Uh, God had already begun to work in Pharaoh's heart, and God had already begun to do some things. Matter of fact, verse number two, pay close attention to that verse in chapter chapter number five. We'll deal with that in just a moment. But we see today that there is such judgment for these people of Israel, but there is a mighty hand. We see this in chapter three, verse number 19. But that's not the only mighty hand. 
If you look over in Exodus chapter number 32, you'll see in verse number 11 that there's another hand that is mentioned. In Exodus chapter 32, verse number 11, of course, this is after the fact, and, and the people once again have kind of turned their heart away from God, and so Moses is going to God in prayer. And it says, verse number 11, Exodus 32, Moses brought, uh, uh, besought the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth of, out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Understand that Pharaoh's hand was a hand of judgment against the people. But God's hand here in chapter 32, verse number 11, was a hand of judgment, not against his people, but against Pharaoh. And in, in, in our scriptures, we see that God, at least twice, says that he is the God that will take vengeance upon our enemies. It's not us. And here these people were. They far outnumbered Michael. They outnumbered the people of Egypt. But yet they were bound. They were in bondage. But still they, they, they succumbed to the power of the, of the Pharaoh there. But in that they could have at any time revolted and overpowered him. But he had a hard hand of judgment. He had a mighty hand of judgment. But God's hand was mighty as well. We'll see that in just a moment. Number two, I want you to see a strong hand. A strong hand. Look with me in verse number 23 of chapter number. No, that is not it. Excuse me. We, and I, I, apparently I didn't even put that, that reference in here. But there is a strong hand reference in these chapters. And this strong hand, it means strict or harsh. It is Firm in a bad sense, if you will. It is not. Uh, it is not that firm hand of a father to a son uh, that basically uh, tries to correct him uh, again sternly, but not not overly uh, harsh. But Pharaoh instead began to deal harshly, began to deal strictly with these with a strong hand. And the Bible says that he was strong. Look at verse number 2. And Pharaoh, of chapter number 5, excuse me. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And so even in this verse here, we don't see the word strong, so don't get mixed up on that. But we see the hardening of a heart. Now, in, in the context of these first 14 chapters of Exodus, we find 19 times that the word hardened was mentioned. We find six times that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We find five times that his heart was hardened. And then we find four times that he or Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so there is a hardening going on in the life of, of Pharaoh. And we're talking about this strong hand, this strict hand. Look with me again, verse number two. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? At this point, he is not only hardened, but he is obstinate. 
This word obstinate, it means stubborn in refusing to change one's course of action. Look with me in verse number 23. Here, the people have, again, they've come to Moses. Moses has gone to God in verse 22. He pleads his case in verse 23. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to his people, neither hath thou delivered thy people at all. So Moses here is going to God and asking God if he would to give them some reprieve, to give them some relief, if you will, from uh, Pharaoh's strong hand. He says in verse number uh, uh, one of chapter number six, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will, or he uh, shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. So I was missing that reference. So there you go. Exodus chapter 6, verse number 1. With a strong hand he will let the people go. What does this mean? Well, I've already told you this word strong, it means strict or harsh. It means hard to the point of being firm, a hardened mind, a hardened heart, being obstinate. It was evidenced there in chapter 5, verse number 23, that Pharaoh had a reputation among the people of being hard. But I told you that God hardened Pharaoh's heart six times, five times, four times. We find that, that I keep on saying Moses, that Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now, I heard a preacher say this about two weeks ago. He's talking about this particular passage. And he said that it is important to know that God did not harden Pharaoh's heart until Pharaoh had hardened his own heart first. And so I went to search for this, and I was looking for that word hardened. I was looking for Hard, But Brother Eric, again, we find it here in verse number 2 of chapter 5. We've read it twice. Let's read it once again. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? At this point is where we find the first hardening of, of, uh, of Pharaoh's heart, but it was not from God. Now, God had already said in chapter number 3, I believe it was, he says, I will harden his heart, but not quite yet. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You remember what Pharaoh was there in chapter number one? He was a new king. He was a king that was setting up his rule, setting up his demands, setting up his uh, uh, thought processes among the people. He was restructuring things. He had uh, buildings being built to his name. That's what these Jews were doing. And he says, who is God? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Understand that in that day, these pharaohs, they considered themselves gods. And he says that I am God. And who is this Lord that you're talking of that I should obey him? Pharaoh hardened his heart. After Pharaoh began to harden his heart there in chapter number 5, verse number 2, we begin to see 
in chapter 7, verse 13. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Chapter, uh, verse number 14. The Lord said to Moses, hey, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. We see then after each one of these miracles and each one of these plagues that God put the heart of Pharaoh to the test. And with every single one of those, with the, the, the rod in verse number 10 turning to a serpent, in verse number 20 of chapter number 7, the waters turning to blood, the cattle being killed, the frogs coming, the frogs dying, the lice, the flies, the dust, and the, the boils, the hail, and then finally death. Each one of these made Pharaoh's heart the more hard. Each and every single one of these, we see at the very end, Brother Terry, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What really does this have to do with some things? Well, there's, there's a friend of mine. He's a pastor of, uh, I think it's, no, that's not the name of it. He's a pastor of a small church in North Carolina. His name is Ken Stanley. And he's given us a prayer request three different times. Three different times he's given us a prayer request for the same man, but for three different reasons. The first reason, he was bitten by, I believe he said it was a copperhead. He stayed about a week and a half in the hospital because they were treating it for a rattlesnake bite. That didn't work, and so they had to treat it for the copperhead. Almost lost his arm. He got well, Brother David, and he went about his business, and about three to four weeks later, he had a heart attack. Had a heart attack, Brother Eric. Ended up back in the hospital, almost died because he had a heart attack. If it had been me, Kaylee, when that snake bit, I'd have had a heart attack and a snake bite. Not going to lie to you. He got well from the heart attack, began to do his his therapy for cardiac patients, he was doing fairly well. Again, about three or four weeks later, he was driving along in North Carolina and had a wreck. And as he had a wreck, he broke one arm and one leg. He said, what's this have to do with the message? I just wonder if it might be that, that God at some point had tried to get his attention. And he said, no. And so God sent a snake. Now, I'm not, I'm not prophesying by any means. I'm just making an assumption here. But I wonder if it could be that he tried to get a hold of his heart and he refused. So God sent a snake. He had a snake bite. He survived it. But I wonder if God might have hardened his heart. God tried to get his attention again with the heart attack. But yet his heart was hard. This last time he tried to get him get his attention again with a car wreck, and his heart was hardened. We, we're on a group of about 17 men, and uh, we have every single one of these when we get these prayer requests. The man's name is Roy. We said, has Roy been saved yet? Roy's still not saved. Roy's still lost. A friend of mine, his name's Ken Stanley. He said, I've, I've been to the hospital every time that he's been in there. And I've said, Roy, God's trying to tell you something. God's trying to get your attention. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. 
I wonder today, I wonder today, how many of us have had our hearts hardened because we would not allow God to truly speak. God was trying to deal with this situation of bondage in a different way. But when Pharaoh in chapter 5, verse number 2, I, I kind of I picture him saying it like this with a, 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 a beating of his chest. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let the people go? Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Who is God to tell me what to do? You see, God began to harden his heart way back then. Throughout chapter 7, throughout chapter 8, chapter number 9, chapter number 10. Then we come finally to chapter number 14. Chapter number 14 is, in verse number 8, this is that thought that has kind of been blossoming, blossoming for quite some time. It starts off with, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. So here we find again that God has hardened the heart of Pharaoh. But I want you to notice what this says. We've, we've, we've mentioned about the, the strong hand of God. We've mentioned about the strong hand of Pharaoh. We've mentioned about the mighty hand of God and the mighty hand of Pharaoh. But now let's look at this third hand, if you will, at the end of chapter Number 14, verse number 8. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. This was not God's hand. This was not Pharaoh's hand. This was the people's hand. The people of Israel went out of Egypt with a high hand. This word high, it means to raise after being set free. This was not just as we come in and we've got a social distance. This is not, hey, hi, how are you? This was not even a, a, a praise like sometimes we do. Well, just praise you. praise you. But rather, this was an all-encompassing, self-realizing praise to God that we are no longer in bondage. We have been set free. They says that they that the scripture said that they left Egypt with a high hand. They were praising God because they had been set free. After Pharaoh's strong hand had dealt harshly with them in punishment, they went out with a high hand. After Pharaoh's hand with a, a mighty hand proved to be so severe, they went out with a high hand. But God prevailed. God prevailed in all of this with all of these uh, these plagues, all of the miracles that God did through Moses and through Aaron, God prevailed and he set his imprisoned people free. They are now going out of Egypt in verse number eight. But even in the fact that they are now set free and they are leaving Egypt, God hardened his heart once more. Now, here's where we fit into this. They went out of Egypt. They were set free. They were no longer in bondage, Nathan. 
They, the definition, they raised their hands high. They went out with a high hand to raise after being set free. They were free from their bondage. But the very next verse. But the Egyptians pursued all the horses and chariots, his horsemen, his army. They overtook them in camping by the sea. Look at verse number 10. But when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up. It doesn't say they lifted up their hands again. It says they lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. These people were, and we are, quite fickle in our prayers. We can meet at the house of God and we can praise the Lord, but when we, when we get to a restaurant and they're out of our favorite meal, man, I tell you, we just fall off pieces. When we, when we leave church on Sunday and everything seems to be going right, you've got your hands raised, you're praising the Lord, then all of a sudden, Monday, you check the, the mailbox and you got a bill in the mail that you weren't expecting. Or on the way home from church, you're raising your hands and all of a sudden you get a phone call. Some tragedy has happened. Something's wrong. That's what, in essence, has happened here. They were leaving Egypt and all of those things that were free, but they didn't lift their hands. They lifted their eyes. And they saw the enemy coming. The Bible says in verse number 12 that they were sore afraid. How many of us have found ourselves experiencing the strong hand of the enemy only to be overruled by the strong hand of God? We have experienced the mighty hand of the enemy and he has given us judgment. He has wrecked our lives. He has ruined our lives. But then here comes swooping in from out of nowhere the mighty hand of God and he doesn't just take care of us. But he puts the enemy at bay, and then we come out with a high hand. We're praising God, and we're saying hallelujah, and then all of a sudden we lift up our eyes. You remember what happened to Peter? Peter saw the Lord, and he said, Lord, if it be me, or if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee. He said, come. Peter got out of the boat and went to Jesus, but he looked, and he saw the winds and the waves boisterous and began to sink. Isn't it Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, that says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? I wonder if it could be a different story written here in the pages of our Bible if they had not looked with their eyes. I wonder if it would have been a different story if, let, let's just go back to Genesis. I wonder what the story would have been like, Brother David, if Lot's wife had not turned around. If she had kept doing what God told her to do and get out of the city. It makes me wonder today if, if the reason we are so fickle in our praise and in our lives is because God has done some things. He's kept us from, kept us from some things and he has brought us from some things and he has taken care of our enemies, and we come to the place where we begin to praise God, we realize how good God's been, only to look around and see all of the other trouble in the world. And our praise becomes panic. 
The thing that we were praising God for has become of none effect. We, we, we do this, every single one of us. We, we have a birthday, we have maybe a celebration, maybe Christmas or something, and maybe we've asked for something. Well, Joe, you ever asked for something for Christmas or your birthday? I'd like to have this. You, you, you go through that, you know, everybody says, what do you want for Christmas? So you tell them. You tell them what you want for Christmas. And then you go through and you finally get to that day, birthday, Christmas day, whatever it is. And you get something great. You get something that you really like. And you're like, I'm so excited to have this. But what do we do? We start thinking about what we didn't get. I didn't get what I asked for. I didn't get that thing that I had planned to have all of this time. And we start thinking about what we didn't get. And we lose track of what we did get. And the excitement of what we did get, Kurt, is now overwhelmed by the sorrow of what we didn't get. That's how so many times we as Christians are. We get to that point, we realize all the goodness of God, and then we see one trouble, one heartache, one trial, one problem in our life, and we get so focused on that one thing that we lose all of the joy that was just here. This is three verses apart, maybe four verses apart, Abby. They went out with a high hand in verse number eight. By verse number 12, they were so afraid because they looked and saw the enemy coming. But there was a future blessing. Look at verse number 13. They had already given Moses down the road, verse number 12. Verse number 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, listen to this, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. You might be today, you might be in that place where, where you're looking around and you're seeing all of the bad instead of all the good that God has given. But can I give you a little word of hope that there is something better coming. There is a better day. There is another, people say all the time, you're not promised tomorrow. I beg to differ. If you're saved, you're promised tomorrow. It might not be here, but you're promised a tomorrow in heaven. Now let's flip that coin. If you're lost here today, you too are promised tomorrow. If you die today and you never accept Christ as your Savior, guess what? Your tomorrow is already promised and it will be in heaven. There is no doubt in my mind today that as Christians we can rejoice not just in what he has done for us in the past. Not just what he's done for us today in this very moment. But Moses said to his people, listen, don't be afraid. Yes, I see the enemy coming. Yes, I hear the chariots rolling. I hear the feet of the horses. Horses, I can see the glistening from the chariots. I understand the enemy is coming. But you need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because the enemy that you see now, very soon you will see no more. 
there is a future blessing. Last, I want to see, I want you to see this in Numbers chapter number 33. Give you this and go to the house. Numbers chapter 33. We're still talking about that high hand. I want you to read verse number one down through verse number four with me. Numbers chapter 33. Here we're to the end of the book of Numbers. Moses again, he is, he is if you will, summarizing what has happened. He is, I like to say, he's testifying about what has happened. He said, these are the journeys of the children of Israel which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their goings out. Verse 3 and they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the month, on the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with a high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians buried their firstborn, which the Lord had smitten among them, upon their gods also the Lord executed judgment. God took care of the, the enemy. Through this strong hand, through this mighty hand, the result was a high hand. You may be this morning, you may be facing judgment, maybe facing that, that, that mighty hand. But rest assured that there is a mightier hand, and that's the hand of God. This morning, you may be dealing with the strong hand of the enemy. Seems to be obstinate in its goal towards you, wants to destroy you. Something in your life wants to be destroyed. But again, I repeat, there is a stronger hand. Amen. Once you come through those things, I want you to know today that you, not the enemy and not God, but you can go out of bondage with a high hand. I think one of the problems that we have in our lives, myself included, is that we don't praise God enough. God gives us breath every single day. And I don't know how y'all wake up during the day or in the morning. I don't wake up cheery and happy, whistling, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. I, I, I don't do that, Brother David. You might. I don't know. I'm not bushy-tailed and bright-eyed or whatever it is. Oh, I get up early and I take me a shower and sometimes I almost fall asleep in the shower and I get out and I go get me some coffee. About an hour or so later, I'm, I'm somewhat good. You may be on the other hand, you may be someone that just wakes up as soon as your feet hit the floor. You're, you're ready to go. Smiling. You're singing song in the south. You're, you're doing all those things. I'm not that way. But I wonder how many of us truthfully wake up every morning and say, thank you, God, for this day. There's been times that I know that I've had to 
do certain tasks throughout the day. Tasks that I've dreaded. And I wake up and I just drag along. I really don't want to do this. I'd just rather go to bed. I'd rather stay in bed. Never once do I say, God, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for giving me a good night's sleep. Thank you for that bed. Thank you for those pillows. And I sit there with my coffee, and I praise God for coffee. Somebody just say amen real loud for me. But I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for my Keurig to, to, to do what it's supposed to do, or I wait for my other coffee machine to do it. I, I don't, I'm telling you the truth. I don't know the last time that I said, God, thank you for coffee. I said, oh, God, I need coffee. But I don't know that I've said, God, thank you for coffee. What about when we see our kids? When we see our wife? I've mentioned this before and I'm not being over emotional. I get excited when I see the house of God. How often have we thanked God for this place? How often have we thanked God for the fact that we can come and worship? You say, well, it's just not the same right now. You, listen, you're preaching to the choir. I know it's not the same. Some of y'all are so scared of spreading spit or something, you don't even say amen anymore. I understand. It's not the same. Some of y'all are not sitting. Eric, y'all done messed me up. Y'all are supposed to be somewhere else. Terry and all that crew back there, they're supposed to be somewhere else. Jim, he done backslid. He's nearby in the back of the church. I understand that it's not the same. There's not been one iota change about God. Amen. And this is his sanctuary. I said this Wednesday night. I know that God does not dwell in this place. He dwells within us. But in Matthew says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. Listen, when we come into this place, I realize our our response when we see glass and we see tape and we see people spread out, our response is to give kind of an utter groan and say, oh, ugh, I just, I'm ready for normal. But listen, what if we come in here and say, praise God, we, we get to worship God. Praise God, we get to hear good singing. Praise God, we get to hear preaching. Praise God, we get to fellowship. You see, we can focus on the strong hand in the mighty hand of the enemy. Or we can focus on the deliverance of God's strong and mighty hand and walk about with a high hand saying, praise God, I've been set free. Let's stand.